Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. to the Lord and thank him for what he's going to do. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. And if you would join me in the book of Genesis chapter 6, we'll be reading one verse of scripture, Genesis 6 and 22, and we'll continue our study this, this series in God's word for life when we're talking about in the beginning Genesis 6 and 22. Aren't you thankful to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Genesis 6 and 22. The Bible says, very simply, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. It's just as simple as that. God said, the Bible says, thus did Noah, according to all that God had commanded him, and he did it. So this morning, I want to talk to us just for a few moments and uh, continue our study on the obedience to God's word. On the property directly against our neighborhood was the home of a Georgia National Guard unit. The length of the street directly behind the houses across from our side of the street lay their training grounds. I don't know how many acres it was, but to a young boy, it seemed like thousands. And boys from our neighborhood would go into those woods from the ages of 7 to 17. They'd ride dirt bikes, and they'd have a grand old time. I wasn't able to do that. I was forbidden to ever step foot in those woods, forbidden to ever look that way. It would be corporal punishment if I ever did. And I'd like to tell you today that I obeyed those rules <laughs> and never went into those woods, but I would not be telling you the truth. However, it only took one unsheathing of a belt to get the message across. When I came out of those woods, that blue Cadillac that he drove always found me wherever I was when I was trying to elude his command that always ended with stay where I can see you. Stay where I can see you. Wasn't just a short time later that that rule and those commandments prevented, presented themselves as to the why as to the why. A group of young men emerged from those woods one afternoon and with what one thought was just a rock, as he hurled it down the street, it exploded 
on impact. After spending some time in the military myself, I know now that he didn't think it was a rock. It couldn't have been a rock. It must have been a percussion grenade. And though it didn't hurl shrapnel into houses, it didn't do very much damage. It did carve out a pretty sizable crater in the asphalt. Now, I was in the house when this happened. I wasn't even friends with the men that came out of those woods. But there was no time wasted in telling me this is why I told you not to go into those woods. Followed with, it is not my desire to keep you from having fun. It is my desire that you stay alive. And so I understood it better then. I understand it even more clearly now, now that I've got a child of my own. My goal is not to keep her from having fun. I set lines and limits for her because I want her to stay alive. And I know from experience going beyond just mere rules and regulations as far as not going to places where you shouldn't go because of physical things that can happen. I know now from experience that a life without lines and a life without limits is destined for failure. Outside of any physical thing that can happen, a life without lines or without limits, even more vital is the spiritual nature of everything that is going on around us. And a life without limits is destined for failure. A world without limits is chaos. Brother Everett touched on this subject very briefly in the first, the first lesson in that the earth and all that God created was purposefully placed. It was practical in, it, in its design. It was precise in its nature. And God made everything good, and he made it with, and he made it by a plan. And as simple as it sounds this morning, I wish that I would have just stayed where he could see me. Beyond the going into the woods as a young child trying to ride bikes and have a good time, the spiritual ramifications of the decisions that I made and the rebelliousness in my heart, I look back on those days and say, I wish I would have stayed where he could see me. I would have been exponentially better off and I would have been safer under that plan. And can I tell you this morning, it is no different with us this morning. God has given us a plan in his word and following that plan that is established in his word leads to eternal salvation. Obeying God brings us into alignment with him Obeying his word brings us into alignment with his desires and his purposes. And that is the most fulfilling experience and existence that any man or woman can have. And so in scripture, we see that plan begin to emerge and begin to reveal itself in the story of Noah. The Bible says that Noah was a righteous man and arguably one of the greatest stories in our human existence, our human experience, is the iconic story of Noah. 
It is estimated that a version of a flood narrative is found in the histories of nearly 270 people groups from around the world. Physical evidence substantiates it, and the facts are irrefutable. It happened on this earth. We even see it here today following a rainstorm, the rainbow that is set in the sky with its shimmering iridescence both reflect and remind of the promise God made to never flood the earth again. This story is the result of a good God with a great plan and of a man's obedience to that plan. And so first and foremost, let's begin with that plan. God warned Noah of impending judgment. First, right off the bat, God is warning of impending judgment. Now, many, many have attempted to disregard this story and, 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 and perhaps cite the fact that it could never happen because why would a good God do such a terrible thing and so destructive to humanity? How could a good God do something in our human intellect so terrible? But if we were to look at that story in, in that way, it's, it's, it's only a one-sided, it's only a one-sided look at the totality of what was going on. Attempting to make the facts simply comply with our own one-dimensional construct of God is, is, is it's not going to go anywhere because it doesn't make any sense. So let's look at the whole reality of the situation. It's found in Genesis 6 and 5. The Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Not that his heart was evil continually. Not that he sometimes thought continually, but that his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But verse 8 but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so even in the midst of only evil continually, there was someone who was able to find grace even in the midst of the turmoil. The Bible goes on to say in verse 11, the earth was so corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so we see the totality and the overall surrounding circumstances. It is not just that God decided to kill everyone on the earth. The Bible says that their hearts were only evil continually. 
But even in the midst of that, there was a man who was able to find grace. We're going somewhere. And so God's hand was forced, so to speak, forced to deal with the sin that had corrupted the earth and all of its inhabitants. Therefore, the story is not merely a story. The narrative is more than just historical facts meant to archive a single event in human history. It's a warning. It's an in-sample. It is an example of what would be to come. And it is not the only time that it is ever mentioned in Scripture. In fact, it is recounted some 39 times in 13 books of the Bible. And I've always heard that if God says something twice, you better listen. But if he says it 39 times... Very few events in Scripture have such a large portion of Scripture that are dedicated to them. So let's look at that. The passages that contain those references as a whole, they make four very clear points. One, first and foremost, God warned Noah of the destruction in Genesis 6 and 7. Secondly, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in Genesis 6 and 8. Noah became a preacher then of righteousness, thus warning humanity then of God's coming judgment in 2 Peter 2 and 5. And then in Genesis 6, 14 through 21, God provided a way of escape. That's the plan. God gave Noah a plan. God provided him with a plan of escape for the, for the coming judgment. And I would have to say that it probably was and could have been, it certainly would have been to me, a shock. It must have been a shock to Noah. That God would choose him out of all humanity to reveal his plan. That he would both be gracious and at the same time exact judgment on the earth. However, it was the mercy of God that provided Noah with a plan not just left out there all on his own to fend for himself, but God provided Noah with a plan. And can I go one step further and tell you that he provided him with an exact plan. God did not simply tell Noah that the earth would be flooded and end it there. God did not simply tell Noah just to build an ark and end it there. God warned, and then he instructed the Lord provided every detail that Noah needed to construct that ark. He gave him every dimension. He gave him every measurement. He gave him the type of material that he ought to use. He told him where he ought to put the windows. He told him where to put the doors. He told him how many floors to put inside it. He told him how to put it together. And then he told him how to keep it together. He didn't just tell him what to do, but he told him how to do it. He told him how to put it all together, and he told him how to keep it all together, both watertight and buoyant. And I'll go one step further than that and say this, that God would have never presented the plan to Noah if he didn't believe that Noah could actually carry it out. He believed that, Noah, you can do this, or I wouldn't have told you. I believe that you can put all this together, Noah, and I believe that you can do it exactly according to my word, or I would have never told you to do it. 
He believed that he could carry it out. And so can I tell you this morning, it's the same thing with us. God has given us a plan. He's given us a plan in his word, and he has given us a plan of escape. God gave Noah's generation a way of escape of the flood. And by that same concept this morning, God has given our generation a way of an escape from the impending judgment that will inevitably pass upon sin. That plan has played out in real time. That plan has played out in real flesh because it wasn't just something he said, it was something he did. God stepped off of his throne himself and robed himself in flesh and came as the Messiah. He lived upon this earth and he lived in the same thing that we are made from. He spoke from his lips and he lived from his life and he showed us the way of salvation and it is through his death and through his burial and his resurrection that we are only offered eternal life. Through his word, we have been given instruction as to how to do it and how to keep it. He's given us the instruction on how to get in and he's given us instruction on how to stay in, to live a life that is pleasing to him. Can I tell you this morning, he's not an arbitrary God. He wouldn't just give Noah all these intricate details and do all of these things and say, this is how you do it. This is where the nuts and the bolts go. You're going to pitch it within and without. You're going to put a window overhead. It's going to be the only window, so the only thing you can see is up. He's not going to tell him all that and then come and robe himself in flesh and say, just figure it out on your own. Just believe whatever you want to believe. We don't serve an arbitrary God. And so he's given us the dimension of every process to precisely make it. Not arbitrarily, not on accident. We're not just going to wake up one day and just be in heaven. No, it's not by accident that he came. It's not an accidental plan that he's given us. And it won't be accidental if we make it. It will take work. It will take a lot of work. But can I tell you, he wouldn't have given us a plan just like he gave it to Noah if he didn't think we could carry it out. That plan is here. That plan is available. And that plan is attainable. But it all hinges on one simple fact. All of these things laid out in front of us mean nothing if we do not respond. Everything hinges on the response. Noah responded to God's word. He didn't just hear it, but he did it. It's a very, it's a very bad word in our day and age. It's sad, but it has become a very bad word. The word obedience. It has... I know that that probably started way, way back, maybe the Roaring Twenties, I don't know. Maybe the Sixties and the, and the revolt against government and all of those things. Maybe that planted a seed. Perhaps it's been from the garden, the rebellion. But there has been a major shift within the last decade. I can see it, I can feel it. There's been a major shift in our society 
in an all-out revolt against any authority whatsoever. It's true. Obedience to anything has become sort of a mark of weakness. If we just follow a plan or if we obey a law, then all of a sudden we have become weak. We're un-American. We're not part of this country anymore. But Noah demonstrates that following God is not just following a letter. It's not just about behavior, but it's about attitude. You see, when Noah obeyed God, he was simply acknowledging God's sovereignty. He was acknowledging God's all power. He was acknowledging God's authority. And that's where the issue lies in many people today. When they resist the notion of following God. We have this mentality that I can just do this, Brother Toby, on my own. I can just I can just will myself not to do or I can do what I want to do. I can do this on my own. And I'm not here to hurt anybody's feelings here today. But can I tell you something this morning? You can't. If you're watching this by way of media, you cannot do this on your own. The attitude that I can believe what I want to believe and I can just live however I want to live and I can do whatever I want to do and I can be whoever I want to be and I will just make it after all. Can I tell you this morning that that is not the truth? That is a lie from the pits of hell that we cannot make it on our own and we cannot make it without him and without explicitly carrying out and obeying his word. John 3 and 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said it again, answered, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so this notion that all roads lead or all roads lead to Rome and I can just believe whatever I want to believe, that is not what Jesus said. Jesus said you must be born again and you must be born again of water and of spirit or you cannot enter in to the word, to the kingdom. It is more than just believing. It is more than just a mental assent to say, I believe something. But believing, if you really believe it, will always be predicated upon your action. It will always be followed by action if you really believe it. You see, the word except, Jesus said, can also be articulated unless unless you do this, unless you're born again of water and spirit. You cannot, you will not, it's not a maybe so. He said you won't see or enter into. And so born again, we are born again of water through baptism. Somebody say in water, immersed in the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Water baptism is not a suggestion. Water baptism is not just a good idea. Water baptism is essential to the new birth process. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
And see, we are born of water. Baptism in his name. And we are born of the Spirit through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And can I tell you this morning, when you are born of the Spirit, there will be a voice with that Spirit. When a baby is born, what's the first thing they do? They slap that child on the rear end and that baby speaks. He might not speak words, but there's a sound that comes out of his mouth. That's what tells them that baby's alive. That's what tells them that baby's healthy. That's what tells them that baby has been given birth to. And so when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there is no exception. You will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Jesus said, you'll hear the sound thereof. That word is not just a sound that we hear. He said the wind, it blows where it listed, and you hear the sound. You can't tell where it come from, and you can't tell where it's going, but you can see the effects of it, and you can hear the sound. That word sound is the word phone. That word comes, that's where we get our word phonics. That, that word means a sound, a tone, a voice. Can I say it like this? It means a language. There is a language that you will speak when you are filled with the Spirit. There will be a witness to the Spirit. It's not automatic. There will be evidence of your obedience. And so that is how we are given access into the kingdom. It is our admission into it. And I will say boldly here this morning, there is no other way I'm going to say it again there is no other way Jesus said I am the way I am the truth and I am the life no man cometh unto the father but by me that means by his death by his burial and by his resurrection and we do that by repenting of our sins being baptized in Jesus name and being filled with the Holy Ghost and so we can say, I don't believe it. We can say, I don't see it that way. We can say, I just don't see it. Why would he say so specifically that I have to do these things in order to be saved? We can say those things, but it doesn't detract from the truth. It doesn't take away from the validity of his word. And so very simply, Noah's contemporaries stood up to God. And the result is that they lost their eternal souls. On the contrary, Noah and his family were obedient to the word of God. And they lived. Because Noah built an ark. It was no small undertaking. 1.5 million cubic feet. It took approximately 100 and 20 years for Noah and his sons to build it. A third of the size of the Titanic. It is estimated that it would carry an upwards of 40,000 sheep-sized animals. And so this was no small matter. It stood 
out in the crowd. It was hard to miss. It was evident after some time that Noah was conducting a very different business than everyone else around him. It caused people to stop. It caused people to gawk. It caused them to look and perhaps even ask a question or two. And so because of this, Noah was misunderstood. One would think that all the dedication all the commitment that he had, this would garner some sort of admiration from the world around him in the day and in, in the day out as he and his sons built the ark as they toiled 120 years in building, 120 years in faithfulness, 120 years in steadfast commitment. You would think that there would be admiration. You would think that there would be commendation. Admiration? No. More like skepticism. Commendation? No. Not even close. More like criticism. Yet, despite the misunderstanding, yet, despite the misunderstanding all around him, all the misunderstanding understanding of his motives and why he was doing what he's doing and the saneness of his mind Noah still believed God's word and Noah built and Noah obeyed all the circumstances all the naysayers all the ones saying why are you building a boat you mean it's going to rain we don't even know what rain is that's not coming it's dry as a bone right now you're doing something for nothing you're not accomplishing anything even though they said it even though they tried to drive it home Noah still drove every nail Noah still cut every board Noah still pitched it in and without Noah still obeyed God's word and Noah's obedience to God's word eventually saved him and his family because just like God said it would, just like God prophesied that it would, that flood did come. It came like raging waters as the earth and the fountains of the deep broke and a deluge of water flowed down from the heavens as rivers raged and the earth was overcome and every human being and animal that was not on that boat perished. It was then, it was then that really and truly we can say that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found the opportunity to get into something that would save him and his family. It was that grace that he found. It was that grace that he took advantage of that afforded him and the rest of his people the opportunity to truly experience the goodness of God. Even in the face of skepticism, he still chose to follow God. Despite all the criticism, he made the right choice and went after God. Can I tell you this morning that the world around you will probably misunderstand what you're doing here this morning. The neighbors that saw you get in your vehicle this morning, they knew where you were going. They knew where you were headed to. They probably don't understand what you're doing and why you're going where you're going. They don't understand your commitment and your obedience to God's word because not everyone is going to be in your corner when it comes to obeying the word. Not everyone is going to understand why you do what you do and why you don't do what you don't do. 
because Paul said, he said, our gospel is hid from people who are lost in 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. And so stories like Noah teach us. It teaches us that even though we are going to face adversity, even though we are going to probably fight an uphill battle, it teaches believers to still obey and not to worry about the people who must misunderstand them or mistreat them. His name was synonymous with revival. Many of you know the name J.T. Pugh was a Pentecostal minister. God used him mightily and used him mightily to significantly impact the apostolic church. People only saw the fruit of his ministry. And when you see that fruit, you may have imagined that he lived a life without conflict. But ever so often, it is said that he would tell the backstories of his life. He included poverty. It included spiritual persecution. And it even included physical violence. But he celebrated great miracles. He celebrated great miracles while he also recounted severe trials. But can I tell you this morning that J.T. Pugh never backed up off of this message and J.T. Pugh went on to glory still believing and still preaching and still teaching and still obeying God's word and his weight of glory is the result. No matter the backlash, no matter the persecution, no matter the criticism, we have a mission to fulfill. In fact, Brother Toby, not every misunderstanding is the result of hate. It's not always the result of disdain. We live in a very unchurched world. And so a lot of the misunderstanding is just physical lack of exposure. That is why we are instructed to be a witness. We can't simply mirror the skepticism. We can't mirror the, the, the misunderstanding with our own prejudices. And we cannot afford to stay silent. People need to hear our testimony of what God has done for us. That opens the door to share God's word and his plan of salvation. Obedience to God's word, obedience to the gospel both positions us for salvation and to spread the word. God shared his plan of salvation through scripture. Jesus gave his life and invites us to respond in obedience, and those who respond in obedience will then reap the immediate and eternal rewards. If Scripture interprets Scripture, Peter's epistle makes it very clear the connection between the flood and the plan of salvation. First Peter 3 and 18, For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so every day that we wait, whether we're in the church or whether we're out of the church, 
Every decision that we make is an answer in either obeying or rejecting the word of God. There are only two roads. One leads to life and the other leads to death. Simply choosing one will emphatically reject the other because there is no third road but a yes a yes is going to require something of us and that is the issue wherein it lies with many people that is why that an easy believing gospel is much more acceptable to the masses because it requires nothing in return as if to say the alternative is wrought with an unattainable goal. So it offers nothing. It requires nothing. As if to say that the alternative is not even reachable. But that's a, a very jaded, a very skewed vision of what obeying the gospel actually is. When we obey his word... And when we obey the gospel, we get to enjoy the salvation that he gives. It becomes more than a list of do's and don'ts. It becomes less I can't and more I can. And so build an ark to the saving of your family, Noah, and I will bless you with a new earth. I will bless you and remind you every time it rains of my covenant with you and my faithfulness to you. Come out of the land of the Chaldees, Abraham, and I will make a covenant with you and I will bless you and I will make of you a great nation. It's not that you can't stay there. It's not that you can't make up your mind to stay there. It's that I'm offering you so much more than you could ever imagine. So I'm, I'm closing. It was a Cinderella-type romance. The 19-year-old girl had come from a dysfunctional home where she was mistreated and unappreciated because of poverty, limited education, and Hardly any work experience, her hope of ever bettering her life was non-existent. Then he came along. He was polite, well-off, gainfully employed, and interested in the beautiful young lady who now sat opposite him at a candlelit table in a high-end restaurant. Their relationship progressed. They felt comfortable with each other. They had common interests. They had even survived lovers' quarrels, and they both felt ready for something more substantial. Knowing this, the young man had gone to a great deal of trouble to reserve a table, prepare the perfect proposal. After sharing a perfect, not-too-sweet chocolate dessert, he dropped to one knee. He then looked lovingly into her eyes and said, You mean everything to me. I love you dearly. And want to commit my life to making you happy. Will you marry me? Her answer took his breath away. Seemed so cold, calculating, self-serving when she bluntly queried, If we marry, do I have to kiss you and go places with you in public? Will you accept me, expect me to remain faithful to you alone? Will I have to publicly refer to you as my husband? Do I have to give you a long-term 
commitment. His disappointment was crushing. His mind was just messed up. The invitation to marry, in his mind, was not a have-to proposition. It was a get-to proposition. And so you probably guessed already that that evening didn't end well and that relationship died a terrible death, but it just really and truly brings to home the key to all of this. It's perspective. When it comes to salvation, it's all about perspective. God's salvation promise to us is His faithfulness and His grace both now and for eternity. It is an invitation or a proposal to enter into His kingdom and with that comes the blessing and the security. Yet sadly, many people respond like the girl in the story. And they ask questions like, do I really have to be baptized to be saved? Do I have to speak in tongues? You sure about that? In order to know that I've got the Holy Ghost? Is it absolutely necessary to live separated and holy? Are you sure about that? But see, to ask questions like these, whether they're rhetorical or whether they are literal, is a result in wrong perspectives. I know you know this. And so what we're doing here this morning is just underlining some stuff. We're not looking at this as a have to. We're looking at this as a get to. And so can I say it in broken, just horrible English, Sister Chelsea, I don't got to do nothing. I don't got to be baptized. I don't got to speak in tongues. I get to be baptized. I get to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives me the utterance. Hear me now. A drowning man never asked the question, where did the life raft come from? Where was it manufactured? I don't like that color. I don't like that size. The only thing that man needs to know is does it float? And can I tell you this morning, the gospel floats. And so if you're drowning, if you're headed underwater, the gospel floats. And so when we allow God's word to touch our lives and when we accept his invitation to salvation, we get to walk out of a life of sin. We get to walk out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We get to break out of the prison of guilt and despair into the loving arms of a Savior who cares for us. And we get to enjoy the infinite rewards both now and and for eternity. And so I wonder if I've gathered with some people here today that will stand to their feet and say, I will obey God's word and I will enjoy the salvation that he brings and I will carry out his purpose on this earth and I will do what he's called me to do because I don't have to. It's because I get to. I get to walk in this life. I get to be in the kingdom and I get to be in his purpose. Come on, let's lift our hands one more time and shout unto God with a voice of triumph.
We praise you, Lord. We magnify you, God. We thank you for who you are and for your word. For it is forever settled in heaven. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.